Welcome to Gifts of the Weird, and it's back. Yay, after a long hiatus, I am able to finally get back to recording. Life has hopefully settled down a little bit and allowed some things to occur so that we can get back on track with recording and getting some guests together and getting some topics to talk about, about uh, inclusive heathenry and about what we're doing with our practices, with our worship, with our community, things like that. So welcome back and thank you for your patience. For those of you for whom it has been uh, nearly six months or more than six months. And uh, the last episode actually was in June, January. So yes, uh, it has been six months since the post last posting. So I do apologize for that. I um, can only say that life happens and a lot of um, things happening with family that I had to uh, take care of and go help my mom and things like that as well and uh, and January and February a big computer crash lost a lot of data lost a lot of stuff had to get things right back together and figure those out and then a certain program that I use stopped working so had to do a search to find a new program to be able to record uh, guests and thanks to my good friend Lonnie Scott who is a podcaster as well um, found one and that is really awesome Lonnie's podcast if you're interested is called weird web radio and it's about paranormal types of activities and things like that and just scoot on over and listen to him if you like so I'm gonna uh, jump right into things I have a lot of notes and a lot of things to uh, try to cover and keep this going today I would like to as my beginning I like to uh, review the Viking Oracle by Stacy DeMarco with artwork by Jimmy Manton, which is produced by Blue Angel Publishing out of Australia. Uh, and the reason why I decided to do this was because when it came out and I had my eye on it and I was kind of wondering, am I, do I really want to delve into it? It's an Oracle deck of 45 cards, including runes and cards that um, have some meanings that have been assigned by the author. And I know some of my heathen friends and people in the heathen community may be looking uh, for it, may be interested in it, particularly for the rune cards. A lot of us do use runes, and we enjoy using runes either on wood or bone, uh, discs, staves, uh, stone, glass. But uh, sometimes it's interesting to have a set of cards with some interesting artwork that helps evoke the energies of the runes that help to bring a, a perspective on things or it's just nice to have a change it's nice to have a different tool to be able to use with runes so i decided to uh, finally um, go ahead and and get a copy of the viking oracle and take a look at it take a look at it from a heathen perspective and and see what came up with uh, read the book read the associations made why some artwork was chosen and just kind of look at it that way so we'll, we'll get into that First of all, give a huge thank you to Xander Fulmer of Hugens Heathenhof, Hugenhof.com. Hugens Heathenhof does a lot of great stuff in the heathen community, especially with news items and uh, getting some information out there about different groups and different activities and different things that pertain to heathenry, as well as they have a really awesome daily Havamal that you can sign up for by email and you get a, a a portion of the Havamal every day to uh, inspire you to take a look at it to help you to read it and get familiar with it which is really cool I recommend that you sign up for that but Xander is a graphic designer and was able to work with Xander to design a 
logo uh, for Gifts of the Weird. And he took the Vanatru board, which was designed by Ember. And you can hear our interview with Ember in a previous podcast episode, which is episode seven. And he took the Vanatru boar and stylized it to a tribal look and um, uh, adapted it a little bit for a logo purpose. And we incorporated a couple of runes in there, which are located in the center. It looks like a giant Gabo and Burkano, but actually the runes that I selected were Gabo and Winyo for Gifts of the Weird. And he worked that in there and created a couple of banners for me and a profile banner and it just really turned out amazing and I really really appreciate that he did a great job if you're looking for some logo work by a heathen uh, designer by someone who will work with you and try to get the design the way that you want it get a hold of Xander uh, you can find him on Facebook or you can contact him through um, heathenhoff.com so Hail Xander, and thank you for the the great logo design. I am so excited about it, and I think it's really awesome. So there's just so much that has happened in the last few months. I mean, the uh, new president, incoming president of the United States, was sworn in in January, and since then, a lot has happened. Politically, uh, things are really tense and really passionate, uh, with a lot of passion on both sides and in the middle. I mean, there's no no stopping of people who are passionate about their viewpoints and what they think, what they think's going, who's right, who's wrong, things like that. Uh, there's a lot of passion out there and it is really useful to just uh, put a lot of energy in there for truth and justice to happen. And that's actually one of the reasons why I created a Bindrune sigil uh, back in um, uh, November or so. and. I've been uh, galdering that. It's uh, several runes. It's Elhaz, Tiwaz, Thurasaz, and uh, finalized with Elhaz. And there's also a Rhydo rune in there, which I occasionally will uh, make part of the bind rune when I want the message to go far and wide so it can travel all over the place. But uh, when I was in Washington, D.C., back in February, I was able to visit some of the the important government buildings and I uh, galdered and placed the room energetically and spiritually in those places because we really need truth and justice to uh, prevail throughout all three, bran- all three branches of government and throughout all of the people that are leading our country. Our country is great and we need we need leaders to see that and to see the diversity and to see the a wide range of people that we have here that make this country wonderful and great. And that's one of the reasons why I was so excited when I was able to be in D.C. to uh, do that with uh, the Bind Rune. The Bind Rune is, again, Elhaz for our protection and to call down the energies of the gods that we uh, work with for truth and justice. It's uh, Tiwas for that purpose, uh, justice and truth to prevail. Thorisaz for uh, the power of uh, Thor to just go out and defend the oppressed and the defenseless and the people that are being harmed, uh, such as uh, the many folks that are, are targeted based on their color of their skin, uh, their religious preferences, their, their gender, their gender identity, their sexual orientation, uh, their ability, their education, so many different things that people are being targeted for. So uh, we just want uh, those folks in government to go out and defend 
everybody and, and protect that. And uh, then again, if you choose to send that message and carry it across the country, you can um, put RIDO in there and then you, you lock it down and uh, keep it uh, secure with uh, another LHAS. So if you're interested in seeing that, you can see that on the Facebook page uh, at Gifts of the Weird and um, it's there. And hopefully folks will use it. Another aspect since the, the election and since the inauguration that has really weird, uh, raised its ugly head is uh, racism and bigotry within the heathen community. There are some groups, and I'm not going to name who they are, I do not want to give uh, them any advertising, but there's groups that have decided that they want to embrace racism and bigotry. They want to exclude people based on the color of their skin, based on their heritage, based on their orientation or their gender identity, or even the perceived amount of that. And, uh, and then they want to cloak it in other terms, uh, such as folkishness or other um, aspects of heathenry, and, um, and be exclusive. And they can do that. That's their, that's their prerogative to choose to worship and do work with who they choose. And uh, I don't agree with th those reasons, but um, they have that choice. But it's also our choice to not uh, work with them as well. So that's why I am pleased to stand with Declaration 127, which was promoted by uh, Hugens Heathenhoff. And a lot of people have signed on to it, a lot of organizations have signed on to it, and basically it's based on Havamal 127, and it's about being inclusive. It's about worshiping and working with the gods, uh, regardless of those, those things that uh, those other groups are <laughs> excluding people for. So as part of that, I just want to uh, appreciate some, a couple of organizations. Uh, there's many more out there doing things, and I uh, appreciate you all as well for your work. But I really uh, appreciate the Troth, Hugens Heathenhoff, Heathens United Against Racism, the Alliance for Inclusive Heathenry, and uh, the Open Halls Project for uh, the, the work that they're doing out there to promote inclusive heathenry and, uh, and to educate people about the different things that are happening out there that um, are exclusive and that are things that we just may not want to be a part of. The great thing about these groups is they're all approaching different aspects of the community that are being uh, for different reasons. So they they work together for a great whole and it's really cool and uh, they approach the topics uh, and help provide safe spaces for people to learn, grow, worship, and to establish community and allies. So hail to them, hail to the gods, and hail to all the uh, other people and the groups. Uh, not trying to exclude anyone. <laughs> uh, there's just a lot out there, and many of them I'm not even aware of. So I encourage folks to uh, ally yourself and, and find safe people and safe places to worship and to connect with and grow and learn. So that kind of do it for our introduction. and. Uh, we can move on to this review, and man, I've got a lot of uh, notes here and a lot of a lot of uh, things to talk about the the Oracle deck and things that came about. One thing that uh, some folks have encouraged me to do was to uh, perhaps do a YouTube video. So I will probably be doing that. I don't know how close to this podcast will be, but keep checking show notes because or my Facebook page or Twitter because once I uh, upload it to YouTube. 
I will do that. The reason why I want to do a YouTube video or why I would do a YouTube video, <clears throat> excuse me, would be to uh, show the cards so that as, as I discuss the cards or, or uh, you can see what the cards look like and and see how you like them and see um, what you think about those cards. There are some unboxing videos out there and there are some folks who have done reviews about the deck already uh, available on YouTube. You can just Google the Viking Oracle unboxing or Viking Oracle review or Viking Oracle YouTube and I'm sure plenty of them will show up. Uh, I, had, I did look at a couple of them. Uh, the unboxing video I looked at was great because I was able to see every card. Uh, it uh, gave me a nice preview to answer the question of my curiosity. Do I really want to get this card deck because uh, I think it's going to be a really valuable tool in my divination and my personal practice or sharing it with other people or not? And so I was able to, just based on the visuals, uh, make a, a partial decision. I did want, uh, want to reserve complete decision making for when I was able to look at the book and see what notes were made or uh, what topics were brought up or how different cards were assigned different meanings, things like that for the Oracle portion. So it was a little bit of struggle and then things kind of happened. Like I said earlier, life got in the way. It kind of delayed my purchasing the deck or fi being able to find the deck. Uh, so, but I was able to um, get the deck uh, here and uh, be able to go over it and through it. And now here we are today. So before I start, I just want to say that I got my deck here, my Viking Oracle deck from my local metaphysical shop. And I really want to encourage folks that if you can purchase your books, your runes or your decks from a local metaphysical shop or a online shop that you know the people or that are doing the work themselves, I encourage you to do that. Amazon is great. I love Amazon. It's great for previewing. It's great for uh, getting things shipped quickly. It's great for that instant gratification, but I really uh, promote and uh, support local our local bookstores and our local metaphysical shops because they're a big vital part of our community. And if we don't buy the, uh, the items from them, uh, they'll go out of business and we'll lose a really great place to connect with community and to have that. And they've, they work hard and they deserve to uh, have that, uh, that opportunity for us to purchase things from them. A lot of times the newer, the newer materials and books, they can order right away from the publishing companies or from their suppliers. And it might take a little while to get to, maybe a week or two or, or so, uh, um, but you get to have some patience and then you get to support your local um, shop and your local uh, community. Uh, now, if the item is out of print or you can't get it anywhere else or the shop just doesn't work with the supplier or the publisher, then hey, uh, go for it or, or maybe try to find it from a, another resource. Uh, but. Um, I just really want to just um, do a quick encouragement um, uh, and uh, uh, to shop at your local store. And I got mine from Tree of Life Metaphysical Books in San Diego, and love working down there and uh, love supporting the shop and the the work that happens in our community there. To start off the review uh, again, the, uh, it is the Viking Oracle by Stacy DeMarco with artwork by Jimmy Manton. It's published by Blue Angel, and I'm just going to start off with a hearty Hail Odin, uh, because he brought us the runes, and we have divination and uh, the connection to divine energies. 
And I want to uh, hail Heimdall uh, because he brought the runes to humanity. He taught the runes to us, and they are we are able to have a great exposure uh, and because of uh, him teaching the runes. I hailed Freya, hail Freya for uh, being the sorceress and, and magic, and uh, through you, I believe, we, we learn the magic of the runes, and, and we learn how to apply the runes magically into our lives, and uh, I just really appreciate uh, the wisdom and insights that I get through Freya, as well as the the energetic and the, and the meanings of the runes from, from Odin. And, and then lastly, I um, hail to you again, Bragi. Uh, help me to speak, help me to have my words uh, clear and uh, communicate my ideas effectively. So, I'm going to present here the Viking Oracle. I think many heathens and those interested in heathen heathenry uh, may be considering the deck for rune work and divination work uh, with an oracle system. Uh, it is listed as an oracle system. It does consist of runes and oracle cards, so it's not a complete rune deck, but uh, they are mixed together. I study and use runes. I have for the last um, several years, and I've done a lot of study with runes, and I find runes to be a very effective divination tool and an effective tool in my magical practice and my uh, my my work with the the gods and my connection with Odin. So, um, however, I also do use other oracle systems in divination work. I do not think that uh, I need to uh, use only runes uh, because there are so many other opportunities for divination and other uh, types of uh, cards and and lessons that we can learn through other uh, uh, oracle systems. So that's. Uh, great reason why I uh, wanted to just take a look at this and see how uh, uh, Stacy DeMarco was able to merge the two together and uh, since I'm a heathen and I'm in a Viking reenactment group uh, it seemed to be a good fit for me and uh, actually one that a lot of people have kept asking me hey Jan um, what do you think of the Viking Oracle or do you have the Viking Oracle yet what's going on with it so it just seemed like something that I uh, needed to take a look at, and, and I'm really glad I did. I approached the deck, even though I had some uh, preview of it, so I was able to see the artwork, and I got some ideas about the deck. Uh, I, I didn't approach the deck with the purpose of trying to diminish it or, or take it apart or to be mean-spirited or anything like that. I really... Uh, came at it looking at it as a as an oracle tool. I know a lot of people uh, will get it and they'll they'll find some value to it and they'll they'll get a lot of opportunity out of it. A lot of the videos that I've already seen about previews, people love it. So I, I know that uh, that's a that's a great tool for some people and some people are really enjoying it. So I first came to be aware of the Viking Oracle deck was from Amazon. Uh, something popped up in my feed, I think, or I was searching for uh, something, and sure enough, um, it kind of showed up as a pre-order uh, sometime back in the fall last year or maybe late summer. And I was like, oh, interesting. I wonder what that's about. I am familiar with Stacy DeMarco. I have her Halloween Oracle, which I love the uh, Oracle, and Jimmy Manton, I believe, did the the artwork on that as well and they're beautiful cards and they're really great around the uh, Halloween time 
uh, and they really have a lot of good um, energy and provide some good energy and some insights. So I was like, oh yeah, let me check this out. And I took a look at uh, the um, back of the box that they had as far as the description of it. And unfortunately, it kind of the it didn't start off on the right foot. <laughs> let me put it that way. My, my initial reaction was I was just going to dismiss it out of hand because of one sentence, and it's this. Combining the symbolism and divatory significance of the 25 Nordic runes. Now, those of us who study runes uh, fairly closely know that of the Elder Futhark, there are 24 runes, and that a blank rune is not a rune, just like there is not a blank letter in, in the alphabet of any type. So, I'm not one that uh, uses the blank rune. I know some folks do. So, um, that's my personal take back on this was that um, it calls 25 Nordic runes. And uh, so, first of all, to me, that's a incorrect assumption that there are 25 Nordic runes, especially when you're trying to connect an oracle or a deck to the history and the heritage that, that we have with us. Also, they had a few of the cards uh, on Amazon that we could take a look at. And um, I was kind of intrigued because it said uh, the box claims uh, moving beyond stereotypes of warriors and raiders and delving into the extraordinary Norse mythos and the intricate and powerful belief systems of this ancient people. So that there, I thought, wow, what a great opportunity if the, they're going to probably delve into a lot of the pantheon, the gods and goddesses, maybe some of the the cultural and heritage things that, that uh, the people of the Viking era did. It might be a great opportunity for folks to learn from the, the lore, the Havamal, uh, the Voluspa, some archaeological lessons that we've learned, and uh, might be a great way. It's, it's not going to uh, take the place of a lot of books and research that have occurred, but uh, uh, as an oracle or as a divination tool, it could be a great place to start, a great place to get people interested, to spark some interest. So I was really looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to seeing that happen. I just want to uh, give recognition to the video and the review that I was able to take a look at the most. Uh, it was by Yoka, the Norse Pagan Tarot Witch. He did a really, uh, two actually unboxing videos, which were really nice. And then uh, he gave a, a review a couple of weeks later, I believe, uh, of his impressions and thoughts of the deck. So I uh, want to say that I appreciate you and appreciate you putting that video up, those videos up there. It was great to be able to look at those and to be able to see the artwork throughout the deck. Looks like we are going really far into this, so I might break this up a little bit and maybe put it into two episodes. Um, but maybe not because uh, folks can pause and return to it later as they, as they need to. Looked at a lot of deck reviews and one of the things that seems to happen very frequently is they kind of review all aspects of the deck so I'm gonna just kind of follow along with that uh, because some people are interested in those things so um, I'll start with the box first of all the the box is very sturdy it's not a typical uh, little flimsy cardboard box that some decks come in and uh, it's very sturdy it's just uh, the right size it's the size of the the book and the cards fit all in there nicely and neatly in there. The um, box is also nice because if you decide to sort on your bookshelf or in a cabinet or something like that, it will protect the contents very well, fairly well. 
each side of the box um, states what it is. It's it's the Viking Oracle and the and the author. So no matter which which way you kind of put it in there, uh, you're going to be able to see by the side of the box what it is, uh, whether you lay it uh, horizontally or vertically or however you store it. Uh, it'll be easy to identify and easy to pull out. Plus, um, it's nice and sturdy. So it's a good box. Book itself is a nicely sized book. It's about four and a half by six and a quarter. It's 123 pages. The pages are um, pretty good quality, a little bit thicker than, than the little white books that normally come in most tarot or other oracle items. Uh, it's uh, got the uh, card on there as well as the description. It's got a nice table of contents and introduction by Stacy DeMarco, which explains her reasoning for creating a Viking Oracle, how the Northern tradition has uh, influenced her since she was young, and her connection and her love of it. So uh, that was nice to have that little bit of a background as to why she wanted to uh, create this deck and what motivated her into it. The main complaint that I have about the book that there's no bibliography. She does a lot of referencing to lore and to stories of the gods and goddesses and some archaeological things that she claims that um, people of that era did. Uh, I just think that with that type of those types of references that we can really point to, that she should have put some footnotes in and uh, included a bibliography at the end so that people could go and research further. People could go and find the contents of the story and read about that or read other stories or connections to uh, the particular god goddess or event and, and continue on. So I was uh, was disappointed that that was not included uh, and also because some of the stuff I'm just like okay that's interesting I, I really don't know if that's a hundred percent accurate it would be nice to be able to find a place where she's finding those those things and, and verify and connect with that. She does include some uh, typical uh, standard spreads. Uh, the one card, three card, cross, hammer, and a nine card spread that um, all have the very standardized meanings associated to the positions. So there's nothing really unique about her spreads. There's, uh, they're just kind of adapted over from typical tarot spreads things that most people commonly do when they're learning uh, to use cards or runes or other oracle uh, systems and basically kind of across the board the basic tarot spreads um, kind of get adapted and just utilized. I'm not saying that's wrong it's just nothing unique or special about them that are unique to heathenry or to the Viking people or the Viking work the the specific oracle theme that this this deck is so that's the book the cards themselves are nice they're very sturdy glossy uh, uh, three and three quarters by five and a half they are um, a little bit thick uh, are stiff and large to be able to do a, a typical card shuffle so um, these will have to be um, shifted and sifted um, by hand, um, not with shuffling, because if you were to really bend them back, you'd crease and, and damage the cards, and you really don't want to do that, because the artwork itself is uh, very, very nice and colorful and bright, and the cards are good and sturdy, so uh, you don't want to um, destroy that. The 
cards themselves or the artwork is made up of 12 female, 11 male, 14 objects, and 8 rune designs out of the 45 cards that make up all of the artwork. Um, again, Jimmy Manton is the artist, and he has worked with uh, Stephanie DeMarco on other decks, such as the Halloween Oracle, the Gods and Titans, and the Goddesses and Sirens, and it looks like uh, through some research he has uh, worked with other artists or other authors on cards as well. So we'll go on with the, the actual content of the deck itself. My biggest thought about the deck is missed opportunity as a whole. I think that there was a lot of opportunity for Stephanie DeMarco and Jimmy Manton to create a really amazing and powerful uh, set of cards incorporating runes, connecting with the rune energies and the rune meanings, and then since she was going to expand it into additional cards for oracle reasons, you could bring so much out of the pantheon and the history and the the people themselves the, of the Viking era that could have really brought a lot of lessons for us energetically and spiritually and just in our daily lives being a heathen today is learning from the past and then adapting those things and and utilizing those types of lessons in in our modern context and what lessons can we learn from riding horses to driving cars from trading via wagon to using the internet and ordering from Amazon or eBay or uh, other online resources I think there's a lot of things that we can learn and apply we're just using it in a modern context and I think that this deck had a lot of opportunity and I was really hoping to see that and I think that it just was missed it wasn't really there particularly with the artwork one of the the things that's really disappointing about the artwork is the back of the box claims that they're going beyond the stereotypes of warriors and raiders and delving into the in extraordinary Norse mythos the artwork is very stereotypical uh, basically Wagner era opera images with horned helmets or feathered helmets or feathered headdresses big flowing gowns and things that just very stereotypical of what we have in our image of Vikings today and I just don't think it really moved beyond that stereotypical image that that they said they wanted to do I mentioned this when we get to specific cards and artwork but the poses for the human figures really unimaginative the female figures are all basically standing there I'll probably mention this a couple of times throughout but they just kinda look like mannequins um, posing for costumes the faces are very expressionless uh, they don't evoke any humanity or any emotion or anything they're just kind of expressionless the male figures bulging biceps and flowing hair and flowing beards and generally there's some huge headdress or a winged helmet of some sort that just doesn't really to me they they think that the artist didn't pull out of these figures the things that make them special and unique or that we identify with them or that we can really learn from the things that they have to offer one of the other aspects of the artwork with the humanoid figures is uh, this is a Viking oracle. It's supposed to be about Viking era. Uh, the clothing does, is not reminiscent of any Viking clothing that I have seen. I've 
part of a reenactment group that is very interested in recreating from graves and finds and examples of clothing and armaments and jewelry that that they can find extent uh, in archaeological digs and very few if any of what these people are wearing uh, resembles that and then I actually sent several images to uh, a friend of mine who does a lot of studies and was just actually in Denmark at the historical museums and a historical area where they just have nothing but reenactment and um, she's like, yeah, those are beautiful, but they're not era, they're not uh, period uh, to that era. They, they have a lot of Celtic style influences. They're, uh, they're beautiful, let me uh, let's say that. They're beautiful and they're flowing and they're very f- fantastical uh, fantasy. It's, it's what, you, what you expect in a, in a beautiful fantasy motion picture or, or animation. So uh, that was disappointing as well that, that they didn't actually go towards more period clothing impressions and the way you see uh, people are one thing but when you're saying that this is a viking oracle or uh, about the the people of that era then i kind of think you, uh, it would have been better for the artist to uh, been more in that age and there's a lot of variety that one can do with those things based on the uh, status of the person or their role in their society, whether they were a Jarl or not, or a warrior. Uh, there was, there's a lot of uh, examples where they could have worked with that a little bit better, as well as even with the gods, they could have flourished them up a bit as well. But uh, it just didn't seem to uh, fit the, uh, the era that they uh, wanted to uh, represent. So the deck has two parts, the runes, and then the oracle sign. The the book and the author has 25 runes. Uh, they link the blank rune or the void, as she calls it, as one of the runes. Um, I don't, so I'm going to separate that out. I'm going to put that as part of the oracle cards, and I'm going to look at the runes, the 24 runes of the Elder Futhark that I've studied and many people that I know have studied and most of the books are um, about when it comes to the Elder Futhark, it's the 24 runes. Now, there are some that uh, include the, the blank rune uh, that is a modern addition to the runes uh, in the 80s or 70s when runes started coming back into uh, the community. So I'm going to just go with the uh, 24 runes and we'll start from there. I'm not going to go into a lot of the history or the in-depth meanings of the runes as a counter or as to discuss about the book because there are plenty of other works that really address that and I'll refer you to those. Um, Taking Up the Runes by Diana Paxson is a really great resource. As a basic resource, I, I found Katie Gerard's Odin's Pathways a very good one as just a basic introduction to the runes to get you started to launch you into further study. There's the works by Freya Aswin and Edward Thorson and many other authors that really go into the meanings of the runes and the history and I'm gonna let them and their works stand and speak for themselves. I will, we will just kind of talk about some of the runes meanings and what the author brought out of that and what she has done. So that's how we'll, we'll approach that. When it comes to the explanations in the book, Stacy DeMarco 
breaks each section or each card into uh, basically three things. It's the meaning of the card, a rune poem that I assume she created herself. I'm not sure because there's no author listed. I couldn't find a reference to a separate author, so I'm just thinking it's hers. And then there's further text that goes into more explanation or references the story or the background of the individual, or the god or goddess or whatever she's referencing as part of that. So that's kind of the basic three elements of the description of each card. The first thing I noticed after reviewing the card several times uh, with my study and understanding of the Elder Futhark runes as I have studied them is that most of the artwork has nothing to do or little to do with the rune itself. That was disappointing because when I'm deciding to use a deck for runes, I want to have artwork that's going to enhance or connect to the energy of the rune or the rune meanings. Most of the, the images on here are really not connected at all, or you've really got to stretch or look at it, especially when it comes to where people are displayed on the rune card. When it gets to the cards that have objects on them, uh, the objects are, are a lot more connected to what the rune meaning is. I forgot to mention that DeMarco also includes reversals on the runes. Uh, not on the oracle cards, but on the runes she includes reversals. Uh, personally, I don't read reversals. I don't think the runes uh, need reversals, and not every rune is reversible. But for the runes that can be reversed, whether they show up upside down or not, I typically do not, unless for some reason I just get this really impression that says, okay, it means something different. Uh, but then again, all of that's incorporated as part of the rune meaning, the energies, the, the things that Odin discovered when he hung on the tree uh, and the runes opened up to him. All of that's built in, so that's why I really don't believe we need a reversal to reverse the meaning such as Fehu reverse means you're losing your wealth or you're going to have some hard times or something like that but some people do read and I encourage that if a person decides to read reversals that they're consistent that they that they don't go back and forth like sometimes they read the reversal sometimes they don't um, whatever is convenient for the meaning at the time that just pick one and and know what the reversals mean to you and how you're going to incorporate them as you're reading and then do it but she does include reversals <sighs> sometimes the reversals were kind of strange I didn't really understand how it reversed the meaning or what she was going for so it was a little bit confusing and I almost got to the point where I just kind of stopped even looking at the reversals so uh, I didn't find the, the reversals all of that useful even if someone was to use reversals when it came to the rune meanings to use in this rune deck. Another disappointing aspect of the, the description in the book is that the author did not connect the artwork to the card. Uh, there was no or really rarely any explanation for the artwork or why the artist's rendition was the way it was or what it was for or anything like that. So particularly for the rune cards where, for instance, on Thurisaz, there is this female standing there, not even holding a thorn 
or a hammer, it's like, okay, what has this got to do with Thurisaz or the meaning of Thurisaz? So it was very kind of head-scratching about that. Uh, and it almost made me think that the author and the artist weren't even in communication. I could be wrong. Maybe they talked really in-depthly about this, but it doesn't seem like it to me because what the artist put on the card or what the what the artwork that was selected for the card just has really so little or nothing to do with the card itself that it just seemed like uh, perhaps uh, Jimmy Manton just drew a bunch of things up and then they just dropped them onto a card randomly or selectively or whatever. They just kind of put them on a card. So that was um, leading into the really big part of the missed opportunity that this deck could have really excelled at had they really put a lot of thought and effort into it. All right, so let's take a short break. I have a musical interlude piece by an artist named Tanya Threet, and she is uh, preparing an album, which hopefully will be released soon, called Voluspa. And she is going to sing the entire Voluspa. And I have an excerpt, it's kind of a preview of Voluspa 4 and 5. And it's really a great sounding piece. So I wanted to share it with you and kind of give you a preview of what's to come from uh, Tonya. Then persons lifted the level land. Mid got the mighty there they made. The sun from the south warmed the stones of earth, and green was the ground with growing leaves. The sun, the sister of the moon from the south, her right hand cast over heaven's realm. No knowledge she should be the moon knew not what might was his the stars knew not where their stations were the stars knew not where their stations were okay so that was Voluspa 4 and 5 by musician Tonya Threet, and that was a preview of her upcoming album. And I've listened to some other bits and pieces of the Voluspa on SoundCloud, and uh, I think it's going to be a really cool album. So I, when she gets it all completed, uh, we'll have her on, and we'll listen to some excerpts from it, and get a chance to really uh, explore that aspect of music and the Voluspa. Okay, we will go on with uh, the review of The Viking Oracle by Stacey DeBarco and Jimmy Manton. We're going to break this into two parts because we have the runes and then we have the oracle side. And then, of course, you can mix them both together as a complete oracle set for the, the 45 cards that were designed. But uh, what I'd like to do is take it in two sections. So we'll, we'll look at the Elder Futhark rune aspect of it. And then we'll move on to the Oracle section of it and discuss that. So again, we'll uh, just kind of recap some of the things we've discussed. Uh, it may sound like I'm really negative on the the, the Oracle here um, based on some things, but I'm, I'm, 
there's there's a lot of good stuff to it it's the artwork is really bright and colorful but I'm also going to be very um, critical of it. Uh, that's what we're here for, is to uh, really look at it, uh, kind of um, break it up and see, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And uh, uh, but most of all, if the if the deck is speaking to you, I say use it, use it fully, use it to the best advantage that you can, because uh, different uh, items and different cards or different uh, systems. Uh, speak to people in different ways. So uh, I imagine that there are a lot of ways that this can be very helpful to people. I'm coming at it from my personal thing and and also from just looking at, uh, at right now we're going to be looking at the rune side of it and how the images that were selected to represent the runes and to uh, communicate that rune energy works and uh, we'll see how that goes and uh, I'll, I'll bring up some points and um, feel free to if you have this deck to um, put some comments out uh, especially if you are, are getting some different ideas from it or 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 how is it speaking to you and, and how is it going for you that would be really cool as well The Viking Oracle has opted to use the Elder Futhark runes as its rune basis. That is the first part of the Oracle, and then the second part of the Oracle is a collection of cards with images and meanings that the author has uh, chosen to use as an Oracle. The author does include the blank rune as part of the Elder Futhark. I do not accept the blank rune as being a rune so what i'm going to be doing is i'm going to just take the the 25th card there and i'm going to move it over into the oracle section and i will address it as part of the oracle not as part of the runes again most of our scholarship and and the folks that have written books about runes such as freya aswin diana paxson edra thorson uh, they focus on the 24 which is fehu through othala that's the Elder Futhark set. So to begin with, we have four types of artwork in the rune cards. We have some male figures, some female figures. What we, we have what I will determine as just objects. These are representations of different types of objects or animals that are part of the artwork. And then there are some cards that represent uh, the runes themselves. So for the male figures, there are five cards that have male figures on them. It's interesting because the, the cards that are represented by male figures are Fehu, Hagalaz, Yira, Elhaz, and Manas. And the artwork, again, is very nice. It's colorful. It's, it's done well. It's not a bunch of stick figures. But the men are typical bearded and muscular. They, they have some, uh, they're just kind of posed there on the cards. What I find interesting is that, as with uh, the females uh, on the other cards that are represented, really looking hard to try to draw in how do they connect with the rune that they're representing. One of the things that DeMarco did not do in her book is discuss how the artwork connects to the rune or even to the oracle unless it's a specific card such as the odin card but for the rune cards the figures that are attached to some of the runes don't really seem to connect to the runes for instance uh, uh, the inwa's rune doesn't have fray on it 
so here we are with Fehu. We have a man that has a, a headdress of some sort, and I suppose the headdress could be connected to cattle. But uh, you have to really look at it and say, what kind of a headdress is this? The Hagalaz card is a man bearing a quiver with some arrows and a, a very large sword. But nothing to indicate hail or anything like that is in there. The Yira has a, a bearded man. Uh, the only thing that would connect it to Yira is that he's holding some sort of a sickle. And that's the only way you could connect that to being what Yura represent, which is harvest. Elhaz is a horned man, kind of standing there, open-armed, bare-chested, uh, with giant horns. The only guess, the only connecting would be that the horns semi-resemble Elhaz, and that it's horns for representing the elk. Otherwise, you would have no idea that it was connected to protection or anything like that. Manas is a, another bearded man with a quiver of arrows bearing a shield that has the Manas rune on it. I suppose, well, there's a mountain in the back that vaguely has some color to it, maybe like a rainbow. I guess you could maybe say it's Heimdall, but there's none of the telltale aspects of Heimdall that you would expect, such as Bifrost or uh, Gallarhorn or anything like that that would indicate that it was anything other than a warrior with a shield with the Manaz rune on it. So uh, that's it for those. It's too bad that the, the artwork didn't connect more with the actual runes. Uh, again, it's, it's very nice. It's interesting. Uh, one thing about the Yellow Futhark cards is that at the bottom of the card is the, the rune, two images of the actual rune, and then the, the name of the, of the card or the name of the rune. So at the bottom it has the Fehu rune and then it says Fehu at the bottom. So that's how you know that this is actually Fehu or Manaz or Elhaz or Hagalas, uh, because you wouldn't be able to tell that from the artwork. The cards bearing the females um, are also five of them. And the females are pretty and they're in their beautiful costumes, cloaks and dresses. And let's see, one has a quiver of arrows. The runes that are represented by them are Urus, Thurisaz, Winyo, Sowelo, and Dagas. The drawings of the women are really colorful and they're detailed but the expressions on their faces are just non-existent they're kind of like mannequins modeling the clothing modeling the costuming so uh, it's really kind of sad uh, that there's not more expression put into the faces or more posture put into uh, the figures of them they're just kind of standing there hands by their sides uh, you know, or palms out something like that so not very, not very engaging at all, and that's and that's too bad. Looking at the cards, I really, other than Dagas being yellow, I really don't see how these are connected in any way to any of the rune meanings. Winyo doesn't even look like she's joyful. Um, Thurisaz is a red-haired gal, but not representing the thorn or or Thor's hammer. I, I would have put Thor on there bearing his hammer, Mjolnir. Sowelo has no connection to Sol or Orsona. The, um, as a matter of fact, it's even kind of dark, so it's not even bright. Um, not pulling her her, uh, her cart with the 
the horses in there or anything. So um, Urus, same thing. Uh, well, she has the Urus rune uh, tattooed on her forehead, but otherwise there's nothing that indicates that any of these are connected to these runes at all. And to me, that's just really too bad. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity here that I think was missed. However, the cards are beautiful. They're very colorful. The costume is pretty uh, not period to Viking era. There's some elements that you might say look Viking, uh, but mostly they look very Celtic or very Grecian <laughs> or Egyptian even. But they're, um, for a Viking oracle, they're not very Viking. It would have been also nice to know, since these uh, ladies were chosen for these cards, um, if they have any connection, if they are a, supposed to be one of the goddesses, um, that's not explained in the, the text or the, or the liner notes um, as to what they are. So, beautiful cards, but uh, no connection to the runes. The next section of the rune cards are seven of them, and these are the object cards. Uh, they are for Ansu's, Kena's, Gabo, Iwas, Pertho, Berkano, and Awas. And um, they are various objects, and they actually do connect more to the actual rune meaning. So here they, they did a good job with uh, actually giving you something that you could say if you didn't know what the rune was below there, or, uh, although it's provided for you, uh, Ansus is at the bottom and the Ansus rune, uh, but you might be able to connect to it. Um, the, the actual image for the Ansus is actually kind of creepy. It's this uh, bust or just the head. It uh, looks like it might be a statue head of a winged being with an uh, open mouth. Uh, normally, I connect Ansu's to um, Odin or to uh, and to divine wisdom, uh, the speaking of the gods to us, uh, particularly uh, from Odin. Um, Ansu's meaning God. The image here of this open-mouthed being isn't even Odin, uh, unless it's Odin before he got the runes because uh, because he's got both eyes. And um, so uh, that's that one's kind of kind of strange looking. Uh, the Ansu's is a torch. So, or I'm, I'm sorry, the Kanaz uh, card is a torch. It's kind of a really nice looking uh, torch. It's a open mouth item, uh, being of uh, animal of some sort that has a flame uh, burning out of it. And that's actually pretty cool. And it's very, very, very nice. The Gabo is a, well, when you look at it card up, it's a very strange looking image. But if you turn it over, it looks like it's supposed to be a drinking horn, but it kind of looks like an inverted fish of some sort. It's um, really a strange design. Um, the, if you put it on its side, the horn tilts up really sharply. Not like any horn I've seen, but it doesn't mean that there couldn't have been a horn like that. And it looks like it's got fishtail or uh, like like at the end of it. So it's kind of a strange one, but it's, uh, it's a drinking horn, I guess. The connection would be... Uh, exchanging or sharing the horn with other people as far as uh, what the rune means as far as gifts uh, so but you really, really would have to know that in order to be able to pull that out the Iwas card is a, a sword and a quiver of arrows leaning up against a a shield or a carved stone of a face uh, and uh, the only connection to Iwas I could think of would be the arrows and the god Ul. Uh, m m 
meaning the arrows being formed out of the yew tree but otherwise um, there's really not a lot that I would show unless the axe is talking about death uh, the severing of ties things like that coming forth through uh, and then rebirth after that but again kind of a stretch Perthos, uh, probably the most clear of them, well, except for Awas, is a dice cup. It's a, a cup with dice on it. So, pretty clear, straightforward. Burkano is a, uh, it's a, it's a drawing of, uh, it, looks like, it looks like what it is, it's, it's a seed that's growing. So, that makes sense as far as uh, fertility and that aspect of it. But, however, uh, this would have been a great opportunity to put the goddess Frigga on there or uh, something else identifying with uh, fertility and that aspect of growth. Ewaz uh, uh, is the horse, so um, there's your connection there. It's quite clear. Uh, very nice um, uh, rendition of a horse. So, uh, good, good on that. Sound like a broken record, but I just, uh, again, saying the, the artwork in and of itself is nice. Uh, there's a lot of color in there. It's crisp. It's uh, the cards are nice and glossy. Uh, I just don't see some of those connections. And the final section of the the runes, the rune part of the oracle, is seven cards, and these are just um, the cards with the rune drawn on them. Uh, they're like on uh, a background or a scroll or some sort of a tapestry or a stone. And I, for the life of me, I, I, I don't see the purpose of doing this, particularly because the rune symbol is on the bottom of the card along with the, the text of what the rune is. So at the bottom you have the rune symbol on both sides of the card and right of in between. And then it uh, looks like a tapestry with the Rito symbol as well. Um, and the seven cards with these symbols are Rito, Nadis, Isa, uh, Tiwas, Lagus, Ingus, and Othala, which they spelled as Othila. And um, again, uh, missed opportunity. I don't know if they just maybe ran out of time or they wanted some variety, but. Um, Oh, you know, okay, Isa has ice on the stone. All right, yay, there's your connection. But um, Tiwa's perfect opportunity to, to draw Tyr and Fenrir and uh, be able to provide something to tell that story. Lagu's water lake, uh, Ingwa's, or Ingu's, um, here they spell it Ingu's, uh, or um, the god Frey. Um, we could have had that on there, Othala, Inheritance and Home. Rido Travel, um, something about um, horses and wagons or traveling, things like that. So um, I'm not opposed to having rune cards with the runes on them. Uh, I have a couple of decks that are like that, and they're just a nice alternative way to having runes on stones or... Uh, wooden discs or something like that uh, so uh, I'm not a it's not that I don't think you can have a card with a rune on it but here I think the opportunity to expand on the runes through artwork because you have the rune symbol and the rune name below it and such a great opportunity for cards like Tiwas and Ingus and uh, Raido 
uh, Esau to bring out the energy of the runes, I think, was just lost here. Uh, and uh, but um, as a set, the cards are usable. Uh, I would just think that you're not going to get a lot out of the images. They're just going to be kind of nice to look at while you're flipping through and, and using them. So they are uh, functional and usable as runes. Uh, they are a little, they are large, so they are a little bit hard to shuffle. Again, um, you're going to want to shuffle them by hand, not in the old traditional card shuffling way, because you don't want to crease them or bend them. But um, um, that will take us to the end of the actual Elder Futhark rune section, and then we'll move on into the Oracle section. So before we actually move on to the Oracle section, I just did want to comment on the, the text in the book about the runes. So the the book itself is it's okay. Most of the the meanings of the runes, I think, uh, Stacy captures okay in the actual little um, very first part of the meaning of the rune, and then she has a a poem below it. Uh, the the poems are fine. I not sure if she wrote the poem or if they come from something else. It's not the traditional rune poems. So these are um, probably a modern poem, either by herself or some other poet or author. She didn't name or discuss it, so I'm not quite sure. The, then it's followed by a bit of a more expanded text on the, the rune. Yeah, some of it I think is um, fairly good and fairly on point. Some of it I think it's kind of a stretch, and some of it I'm just like, where did you get that from? Or this is where having the bibliography in the back or some liner notes or some notes that say, hey, this is where I'm getting this information from. This is the section of the Eddas or the lore where I'm pulling this from, or this is where the archaeological evidence is for this, pulling this out and saying this is what the ancients did at that point. So I think there's a little bit of a liberality in expressing some of that stuff. Some of the cards she assigns reversed meanings to and reverse meanings to me I, I i don't use them people who do use them i say uh, go for it that's something that i think you should do all the time be consistent i don't use rune uh, reversals in rune readings because i think that the rune set as a whole has enough of a balance in there to tell a whole story and just the runes themselves have enough of a, a balance within them you know on both sides of the story to tell a complete story it just I think while you're in the reading, it's basically good to have more than one rune um, to help you tell the story, but also that the gods will reveal to you exactly how they want the story expressed and, and what aspect of the rune you're going to be working on. So you don't need it to be upside down to reverse the meaning. I think in the reading it will reveal itself to you if that's the direction it needs to go. Okay, so for the oracle part, we have the remaining 21 cards. And again, I'm including the void or the blank rune as part of the oracle. So that leaves us with five male figures, seven female figures, and nine other items, scenes, things, tapestries, things like that. Just not necessarily depicting people per se or not, not part of the card as a people or, a, or an animal. 
So for the oracle aspect of it, DeMarco does actually put gods and goddesses on the cards as well as make us uh, assign meanings to things such as uh, the thing, the well of weird, Grassel, other aspects of that for or for oracle or divination use. So that's okay. Uh, so we're not really kind of limited on some of that stuff. The cards with figures on them actually represent, except for one of them, represent gods and goddesses or uh, other deities and beings. So um, that's an interesting aspect of it and she brings together some meanings uh, associated with those uh, that she wants to pull out from their stories and how they might work with a divinatory use. Uh, the artwork again is the same as with the runes. Uh, it's very colorful, it's it's well done, it's well drawn or painted. And the cards themselves are beautiful. They're, they're really nice cards. I can't, there's nothing wrong with that. The figures again are just kind of blank stares, no expressions, very little posing, uh, if any. Most of them arms to the sides, hands or palms out. A couple of them have, uh, one's holding a spear, one's holding a, an orb of some sort, and another is holding a shield. But otherwise, uh, they kind of just like mannequins. Some of the aspects of what makes them who they are, they do a better job than with the rune cards as to putting in some details that make you know that, okay, this is Freya. Or I can see where they're trying to pull into making this into Scotty or... Well, the Norns is easy because there's three, there's three of them there. So those are some aspects that they're trying to pull into it. So what I'll kind of do is I'll try to quickly go through some of the the cards themselves and uh, address them directly. Uh, the male cards, are, the god cards are pretty much the same. There's usually something that kind of shows you that who the god is it's supposed to uh, represent. Odin's pretty easy, he's got an eye patch on. Thor is holding a hammer and red-bearded. So that makes that pretty easy. Some of the other ones, a little hard because it's not quite as much uh, detail for us to uh, pull on there, such as with Loki. It's hard to depict mischievousness, although man, there's kind of a mischievous look on his face. So, And Mani has a, a giant moon behind him. The Freya card, there's really not much. There's a cloak on her. It kind of looks like fur as opposed to feathers. The missing Brisingamen. Uh, there's no cats, no anything like that. So um, aside from the fact that it says Frey on the card, just looking at it, you wouldn't be able to pull out what we normally would as far as elements to her. Uh, however, DeMarco does go into some of the aspects of Freya that we know about her. She's a defender of women, a battle queen, deity of birth and death, war, witchcraft and sorcery, those types of things. Uh, does talk about Brisingamen and some of the other aspects so that she uh, gets half of the slain and Odin gets the other half. Uh, basically she assigns wisdom as the main aspect of the card that we're going to get from this divination. Next I'm going to go to Hel or Hela and uh, here's another uh, kind of a missed opportunity. It's a beautiful card but it's not really Hela. She's standing there, she's a little bit pale, ashen hair, um, big horned headdress, kind of funky horns, uh, almost like Maleficent um, on a droopy day. Uh, the costuming is nice, uh, but she's just standing there, kind of red eyes, just blank stared at you. 
However, what's missing is the telltale aspect of Hell of Hella, which is that she's half decaying and half beautiful. So we don't even get to see that. So you don't even get to pull that out uh, and understand that about Hella. And that's really a big part of um, who she is and how we understand her as the goddess of the dead and and uh, the goddess of our ancestors, things like that. And she kind of makes the connections that, oh, this isn't the Christian Hell. Um, make some comment about if you're going to walk to hell H-E-L-N back you need to be wearing strong comfortable shoes those kind of things I'm not really kind of sure what she was making about but she does make a connection to uh, hell and I'm just not quite sure what she wanted to pull why what this is bringing to us as far as to what we should connect to oh here it is in the book sorry she says accept community support and being well prepared and to keep walking I wouldn't necessarily pull that out about Hela, but okay. So the next card, the next goddess card, it's not the next in there, but once they get all mixed up, they're all going to be kind of mixed up anyway, is the Scotty card. Scotty looks remarkably like Hell, except her horns are upturned, so um, I guess being cold, she's kind of not droopy. She's blue, got blue lips. Other than that, the only thing that you might be able to connect to her as being Scotty, except that she's blue for ice would be that she's uh, pictured with a wolf. She's wearing a beautiful cloak that really is a nice cloak. So uh, it is a beautiful representation of a of a person, but I normally wouldn't see it as Scotty. There's really very little connection in the image to um, her being the goddess of skiing or the goddess of winter or the goddess of the hunt in winter, things like that. Uh, they do talk about her marriage to Njord, uh, their uh, going back and forth to um, try to be able to make their their union work out and the lesson from this is being honest direct and respecting your own personal freedom so okay the next card is soul the, a woman standing there again expressionless the only thing that indicates this is Sunna or soul is she has a symbol above her head that looks like a sun and there's the same symbol on her cloak again beautiful cloak she's holding some sort of a, a scepter or an incense burner of some sort so again we're missing anything that really kind of connects us to who Sunna is kind of the same with the the text there's some references to who she is from the lore and then brings out some sort of a connection but not one that I really connect much with Sona. Uh, the next is the, the Norns. We have three females who are hooded and cloaked standing there. Again, hands kind of palms out, just kind of st uh, staring out words sort of from their, their hoods. There is an image of the leaves of a tree above them. The only reason I would know that this is the Norns is uh, one, knowing it's a Viking oracle and that there's three of them. So that would be my first leap would be the Norns, but they're, they all seem to be the same age and they're just kind of standing there. No well of weird, nothing else that represents Earth, Radandi, or Skold, or what they represent. Uh, too bad. The next is Valkyries. It's a, a helmeted winged woman standing there um, holding a, looks like a staff and on her shield is a very strange looking sort of a cross between a condor and a raven i guess 
probably supposed to be a raven. Uh, but the fact that she's winged, I guess she's using an artistic license to represent horses that they um, are uh, said to ride in the lore. Giant winged helmet uh, showing that she would be a warrior of some sort, but no swords, just the staff. I guess she'd be pretty kick-ass with that staff. So that's the Valkyries. She talks about, about the Valkyrie card, meaning uh, wild energy. Redemption, relief from the weariness of battle, finding power and wildness in your situations, uh, don't doing things without regret. Then the next card that has a female drawing on it is just basically the head and shoulders of a cloaked woman bearing the Fegvisir sigil or the Viking compass. This compass was used as a, a sigil of protection. The lesson she pulls from this card is stepping forward to, uh, into the unknown with confidence encouraging us to continue our journey even the, when life gets touched uh, tough i guess it's a good way to pull of it something to learn from um, but um, again the artwork is just kind of like a mannequin head kind of boring uh, no expressions nothing to um, bring out anything into to make the card or the the, the meaning interesting Next section is going to be the with the gods or the male figures on them. There's not very many, so we can go kind of quickly through them. First card here is Fenrir, which is uh, has a man with a big red beard and war paint on, and a shield with a wolf drawn on it, and it appears to be a wolf headdress, uh, which actually would be a cool headdress if um, that could be actually duplicated and made in real life would be really awesome it's not a wolf head it's a it looks like a metal uh, headdress that's shaped like a wolf head and it's really really cool the meaning that she assigns to this card is to refrain from fearing that which we don't understand and okay interesting uh, I'm not quite sure how that would mean stuff but um, anyway uh, it is a really cool card. It's also the same image that is on the backs of the cards, uh, which is really a nice image. Next card is Loki. It has a very impressively winged helmeted being standing there, decked out in a big cloak and a very adorned beard, holding a, a horn similar to the one that we saw on the Gabo card. The text talks about Loki being tricksters, uh, the some of the things that he did, such as Loki and Thor going to get Mjolnir, and things like that. The meaning for it is it's wise at this time to take a leaf out of Loki's book and find a way to laugh at our troubles, or to look at the lighter side of the situation. Interesting. I would think a little bit something different for Loki, but okay. Uh, again, nice card. Uh, this is one that I think is a little bit harder to a tribute to you know how would you draw Loki uh, to have something that you would say oh yeah that's Loki I get that next card is Moni it's a uh, very interesting it looks like a very big gruff um, soldier the giant double-headed axe and the the moon behind him so the only thing that kind of connects it to Moni is the the moon behind there here it talks about Mani being the keeper of time and cycles and that it reminds us to wait for no one that time is precious. Uh, the next card of the gods is a figure of Odin. Pretty nice. 
course you know it's Odin because a slightly graying beard very standing there majestically almost as if he's posing for a portrait to go above the mantle but still a nice card there's one bird on the scepter that he's holding uh, kind of looks like a fairly scrawny raven for a raven uh, kind of white not necessarily black black I guess that could have been from the lighting but there's only one not two so we don't have uh, Hugin and Munin we have just one of them uh, that's too bad because that's a big part of it and um, you know pretty impressive standing there the uh, lessons that uh, she has us bring is that Odin teaches us about education and listening to the wisdom of others for our own growth and development. Finally of the gods we have Thor, very impressive and, and very nice actually image here holding Mjolnir with a giant winged helmet. Again we're going back to the Wagner theme the stereotypical imagery of the Vikings that uh, apparently this was supposed to dispel but they used freely within here but it is a very nice drawing and very impressive Thor's uh, lessons here of course that Thor's energy encourages us to take real action and I could see that um, usually when Thorisad shows up in a reading that's what I call uh, or I usually assign as taking action and taking very aggressive action so there you have it the, and so that brings us to the end of the gods and goddesses and we'll kind of quickly go through the remaining cards because um, we are getting uh, a little long here uh, about an hour and a half so sorry for the length of it but it's a long a lot of stuff to go through and I appreciate your patience so of the remaining cards the the artwork is is fine it's not overly dynamic. Uh, it connects to what Marco Mantner trying to represent for each of the cards, except for one, and I'll get to that in a second. But it's pretty clear what they're trying to represent with the card. Each card has a meaning that's pulled from the history of the topic on the card. You know, it's all suitable for the meaning of the cards and as an oracle system. So here's what we have. We have uh, the Void, which is the 25th quote-unquote rune that they assign. It represents possibility or mystery, undecided fate. Gunningen Gap uh, is another way that you could look at this card. We have Frithgerd, which uh, is refuge or respite, peace and community. The uh, next card is the Ragnarok. Now this was a strange one. Um, Remember when we talked about the Ansu's card and we just had this this uh, bust or this head, the stone head with this big wing? Well, this looks like it's that one, only the mouth is closed and it's breaking apart. So Ragnarok here is endings and beginnings or change. The next one is a sunstone, kind of a nice drawing of a sunstone with a tapestry in the back. Uh, the sun symbol that we saw on Sol is uh, on this uh, tapestry. Uh, here it represents trust or clarity, new perspectives. The next one is the nine worlds. There's like a, uh, an image of a tree. And, and interesting though, I can only count seven, possibly eight of the nine worlds. There's a sun symbol on the top, which I think is Asgard. There's like, uh, oh, okay, maybe there's a, there's like a, little mountain thing and I guess maybe it's the top and the bottom of it could be Svartalheim and Losjafheim and Midgard all together there so that so that could be the the nine worlds 
The nine worlds mean talking about connected web of life type of stuff. Next one is the, the halls. Then we have the thing. It's two hands shaking with each other. And that means decisions, contracts, diplomacy. Then we have a well of the weird, which is the trunk with some uh, roots around a circle that's blue. So that would be the well. means magic. Don't dwell on the past, what she's assigning to it. We have a card for Yggdrasil. It's a very thick trunked tree with yellow leaves on it, indicating fall. Um, interesting, I always would envision Yggdrasil as having green leaves, but I'm not sure. Artistic interpretation, I suppose, it's okay. Um, it says, you belong, you deserve wonderful life. Then, So um, that brings us to the ends of the cards and all of that we have in here. From a heathen perspective, uh, since they brought it up as a Viking oracle, to me that means they're, I think they had a little bit more of a responsibility to connect it to heathenry, especially when it came to the rune cards. But as an oracle card, I think that it's fine. Um, what I would recommend is possibly maybe just not even looking at the book provided and just using the cards with what you already know the rune cards you could use the books that you are already studying out of such as Katie Gerard's book or Diana Paxson's book or Edra Thorson or you're gonna have to kind of ignore some of the artwork because it's not gonna pull you into what the rune meaning is especially when it comes to the male and female cards on there because there's no connection to those runes the god and goddess cards of the oracle and the whole oracle section well it's an oracle section so uh, there's a lot of potential and possibility there. I think what you can do is take what you learn and know from the lore and from your studies and develop those cards and those meanings of that oracle section for your own use. And I think that would be far more beneficial to you. And then if you happen to want to mix the, the two sections together to make a full 45 oracle option then you're what you're going to do is you're going to definitely be mixing in the the magic energy and and wonder of the runes in with the oracle and be able to pull out a really great reading out of that that way and as far as the types of spreads just whatever you're comfortable with whatever you like to use the most is i think what's going to work the best for you uh, you can use the spreads that, that they provide. There's nothing wrong with them and very useful for a lot of purposes. Or you can do what's worthwhile to use. So if you have the rune deck or the Viking Oracle and you're like, wow, I just wasn't sure about it, but you happen to have it, I would say, uh, as I mentioned earlier, well, set the book aside and go with what you have. Uh, already know about those topics and those things or research them in the lore or research them in other ways, the connections to the oracle cards, so that you could develop your own oracle meanings with it. So thanks for listening, I do appreciate that. That will end the review of this. There are very few rune card decks out there. Um, a lot of them are out of print. Freya Aswin just printed one last year. But it was a very limited run, so it may or you may or may not be able to get a copy of her rune deck. It was based on paintings that she did 
and uh, they are really beautiful and I was very glad that I was able to get myself a deck. Connect with her through aswyn.com, that's A-S-W-Y-N-N.com, maybe send her a note. There are some available decks out there, the Rune cards by Phoenix, that's V-O-E-N-I-X, are pretty pretty nice cards. The artwork is really connected with the Rune energies. There are a couple of other cards, or some Rune Oracle cards that I, I really don't recommend. It is called the Rune Oracle cards, it's by Los Garabeo. I did see that deck once, I did have it, and I didn't find that it was connected to the rune energies either. And I just found it really disconcerting and really not even worth recommending, so I don't recommend that one at all. There are some rune decks that are out of print, and if you find those and you see the artwork and you like them, then go for it, see what you like. Llewellyn has a new rune deck coming out. I think it's uh, going to be available in September or October. It's called Runes of the Northern Lights. I have seen some images on it, and uh, it's just the rune symbol on the card, but it really looks pretty beautiful. I did post something on my Facebook page that I found that. If you uh, haven't seen it yet, just go on the Facebook page, which is at Gifts of the Weird, and... Uh, take a look at that and see with that I am going to get a copy of the deck and do a review of it as well it won't be as long as this because I won't have as much artwork to go through I'm just gonna go through and take a look at it but from what I see of it so far it looks really nice kind of retro 60s style advertising art which I think is gonna be beautiful and kinda of cool the power of the runes deck by Phoenix is, or Phoenix is uh, still available you can find it at your local metaphysical bookstore. I think most of them can order it if they don't have it in stock. Please try to shop with your local metaphysical shop if possible. If for some reason they can't get it, it is uh, it is available on um, the A to Z site. Another rune deck that I got turned on to is an Anglo-Saxon Futhork rune deck. It's the Martin rune deck and it is by Alaric Albertson and Taryn Martin and they uh, produce it out of Wolfden Designs and it is really really cool. I don't normally work with Anglo the Anglo-Saxon runes. The first 24 of these are the Elder Futhark as well and the images are beautiful and perfect and this is a great rune deck. I'm gonna have a link to the in the liner notes but I am gonna have Alaric and Taryn on and we're gonna discuss the cards and Anglo-Saxon heathenry so I've just got to set up when is a good time for all three of us to be online and to discuss this and we will be talking about this deck as well as Anglo-Saxon heathenry but it's a gorgeous deck it's wonderful and if you only use uh, the Elder Futhark the first 24 of the deck are perfect for your Elder Futhark use. But then again, you have the additional cards that you can use to, to learn more and to expand your rune readings and meanings. So that's really good. The, um, the book that comes with it um, does give a brief explanation. It comes with the rune poems and uh, modern interpretation, but it's also based on books that Alaric has written 
about the Anglo-Saxon Futhork, and you can find more of that uh, in those books. But we'll talk more about that with Alaric and Taryn, and we'll have that on the on an upcoming show, hopefully the next one. So for that, I'm going to uh, thank you again and get ready to close out here. One of the things that I would like to do is give a really nice thank you to Xander Fulmer from Hugens Heathenhoff. I worked with him to design the images for Gifts of the Weird. Uh, he came up with some really amazing artwork and that's what's um, going on to the website now and what I'm using as logos and banners. Uh, those are designs that he came up with with the basically uh, designing the Vanatru boar as uh, into more of a tribal view and then in the center of it is a bind rune of uh, Gabo and Perthos for Gifts of the Weird. Kind of looks like it's Gabo and Burkano but it really is Gabo and Perthos in there. Uh, having Burkano in there is actually just kind of a nice little extra added bonus but uh, the artwork is great and beautiful, and I want to thank Zan from Hugens Heathenhoff and recommend that if any of you need logo work done to reach out to Zan. You can find him in the liner notes. I'll, link, I'll give you his links and information, and you can find him on Facebook. So thanks, Zan. The artwork is great. I love it. And I'm putting it on everything. I'm even, I even have a mouse pad with that coming uh, to me for my work and home and I just can't wait to use it and have it there all the time so it's really great and thank you everyone for listening thank you for your patience for waiting so long for this to come out it's been six months and uh, I promise to uh, really try hard to keep a better schedule and uh, get back on track with things uh, there's a lot of folks that I've been talking to and we'll be getting them lined up and we'll have them on and uh, we'll get back on track with inclusive heathenry and uh, thank you so much have a great day